five, four, three, two, one. Pogadelic Podcast is a podcast about the things that make life worth living. I'm your host, DJ Double D, and this is our first episode getting recorded in 2023. What we're going to be doing here today is MMA in 23. We're going to look at the entire year, see what we know is coming up, what we think is coming up, what we can get out ahead of. We're going to talk about mixed martial arts all across the globe. and We're going, obviously, with the UFC. We're going to talk about other organizations. We're going to talk about individual fighters. We're going to talk about techniques. We're going to talk about different fight cards. We're going to talk about different news stories that have been playing out over the last 12 months that will be an impact in 2023. And we are going to look at some of the best upcoming fights. We're going to do some fantasy matchmaking. I'll predict some end of year champions. And then I'm going to let you guys know what fights that are announced so far. You can expect to hear full detailed breakdowns of on this podcast and then at the very end i'm going to go back through i'm going to open up my podcast app and go through all of the mixed martial arts content that i listen to so that you guys know where i'm getting all of this bullshit from as always on mma episodes it it's worth mentioning it bears passing comment on i don't know the first thing about mixed martial arts doing it no everything i know about it comes from watching it i couldn't personally run out of breath So, this is what you're getting. It's a fan perspective, a fairly involved, fairly hardcore fan perspective. I cobble my shit together from proper professional opinions. And um, as I said, just none of this is like firsthand. But, you know, the mixture of topics will be uniquely punkadelic and unique to me. And we will just do everything in our own inimitable style. I'd love to keep this one under an hour, but I think we're going to get going we got a lot to get to through this, so before we jump into our very first topic, which is the Conor McGregor steroid accusations, I just want to really briefly let you know that there have never been more ways to get in touch with Punkadelic Podcast. We are available absolutely everywhere that you get your podcasts now, be that Spotify, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, we are everywhere. If you find somewhere the Punkadelic Podcast isn't being carried, let me know, and I will do my damnedest to get the RSS feed migrated over there too. If you want to get in touch with the show, please send us a message on Instagram, at Punkadelic Podcast over there, and I will get better at using that profile uh, this year. I just didn't get into the podcasting game to run a burner Instagram, so it's just not something I think about all the time, but I will try to get better at promoting this podcast, I swear. We're also on Reddit or slash punkadelic podcast if you head over there right now you're gonna see all manner of hilarious material i try to keep it well updated uh with funny memes and videos and stuff that i see while i'm on my own reddit timeline so um go over there take a look into what we have going on and by all means please contribute if you want to have videos that i commentate on on the podcast please send it in there and just write you know please commentate or whatever uh, just some sort of note that lets me know why you're posting it and then we're also on Letterboxd. If you search Letterboxd for Punkadelic Podcast, you'll see where I've been doing movie reviews in less than 50 words. Okay, so a couple of recent ones there. 
my one word review for Home Alone, five stars, masterpiece. June 2021 by Denis Villanueva, five stars. I can't believe they adapted the book this well. Stunning work. Avatar, The Way of Water, for all its faults, it still has extremely satisfying action sequences like only James Cameron can shoot Rocky. Best Picture winner 1976 for a reason, four stars. Bullet Train, three stars. Sometimes gun foo, although silly and OTT by nature, is harder to pull off in execution than in theory. See also Gunpowder Milkshake. And we're also on buymeabeer.com where you can contribute to the campaign to get the second microphone for this show so that we can start to have guests and really, really build this podcast up in 2023. Um, those are all the ways you can get in touch with us. You can also send a voice message to the show through every single Spotify episode bio. There's a link there. You can send a voice message. And one of these days, I'm going to work out how to include those in the show. And as ever, just if you can rate the podcast five stars wherever you're listening, if that's Spotify, it's five stars. If it's Apple, it's uh, ready review. Everything and anything you can do to engage with the online presence of the podcast helps us grow here. So at the end of the day, uh, likes, comments, everything all helps. But the best thing that you can do to help this independent podcast grow is recommend it to someone that would genuinely like it. You'll be doing me a huge favor. Now, on with the show. MMA 2023, setting out the slate, let's get punked down. Topic number one on this on this list is uh, is McGregor. Um, I thought, you know, he got me into mixed martial arts. We'll get it addressed, we'll get it out of the way, and we'll actually talk about people that actually fight. So long story very short, Connor has been putting pictures on social media recently over the last, I mean, it's been several months now, I'm not entirely sure when it started, but... For context, what he's been doing while he's been posting these photos is he has been filming the new Jake Gyllenhaal movie, which is a remake of Roadhouse. So assuming there's going to be a lot of fighting, a lot of high kicking in this movie. And Connor, who's coming off that absolutely horrific, devastating injury against Dustin Poirier in July of 2021, is looking very, 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 very healthy, if you know what I mean. So... Physically, he is huge right now, like so, so, so muscled, way, 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 way more so than is necessary for a mixed martial artist. So um, possibly it's for aesthetics, but the question has to be, you know, how did he get here? Uh, Because the second piece of information that you need to have around this situation is that Connor is not currently being regularly tested for steroid usage as every single fighter in the UFC has to be. Now, this isn't so much of an ethical quandary in the case of Connor, because, you know, with an injury like that, that is, so his, it was a broken foot, and it's critical to movement, so it's critical to his fighting style, but, you know, it's critical to be able to move around as an adult human being. So, he's been removed from the testing pool, he's working on this movie, he is the size of a house, how are we supposed to not draw the conclusion that he's on steroids? Now, personally, I don't particularly care. I don't think it's fair if it's a fight where one person is on a lot of steroids and the other person isn't. I think that the science behind PEDs and the restrictions on them is flawed and always has been. So you sort of really don't have a leg to stand on scientifically, although I'm sure 
it does have benefits at catching very, very, very serious cheaters. Um, I'm sure a lot still slips through the cracks, and I'm sure that there are things that are banned that would actually be of a great benefit to fighters. But it's a very complicated issue when you get into uh, doping. So, as I say, I just I've always said it on this podcast. I think that mixed martial artists out of any athletes should be allowed to uh, maybe recuperate with steroids or you know, otherwise use little bits of things that wouldn't give them not an unfair advantage over an opponent, but a, a, an advantage over an injury, I think is, um, it should be, it's something that should certainly be talked about in a very, very serious conversation had at a very high level. But it just seems to be happening in front of our eyes here with Connor and what it is and why it's annoying. If, if I don't care about him taking steroids, right, because he has to pass tests to get back into the octagon. Now, they might be able to rush him through the USADA pool so that there's only three months, so it's possible that he'll retain some benefit. But what's going on here is that they seem to be applying rules selectively to their favourite fighters. And we all know that the UFC sort of favours some fighters, doesn't favour others, gives some people backroom bonuses, you know, and then their family. Some, some fighters are family, and then other times they're independent contractors, so... We know that at the end of the day, the UFC is a business and Conor McGregor brings in the most money for them. So it's not even a case. So I don't have a problem with him being on steroids as long as he's not juiced to the absolute fucking gills getting back into the cage. There needs to be, I think, you know, at least three months in the USADA pool. I don't know the science. So maybe that's too long and he could still cheat. I'm not suggesting that he cheat, but I'm suggesting that he get better and have the best training camp of his life. I'm not even mad that the UFC gave him, granted him an exemption or might grant him an exemption in coming back like and cut the time that he has to be in the pool. But can every fighter please do that? You know, we would extend fighters' careers here. Big time. We could have more of our favourites around for longer. So, again, I don't have a problem with Conor using a bit of juice to get better or get bigger for Roadhouse and Jake Gyllenhaal. But I think that if this, if you can drop out of the pool for six months, fix yourself, use, you know, EPO, whatever, like, whatever, literally, and get better, as long as you're not at, you know, significant levels of that on fight week or fight night, then I think that, I personally think that that would be okay. Again, I don't know the fucking science of this, but smarter people than me who I listen to and I get this information from, have told me that the science that USADA's restrictions are based on was ultimately flawed. I believe it was based on a sample size of something like 200 people. So that's that's minuscule for how big USADA is now. So, um, look, that's it. We're not going to talk about Connor forever. There's no point really speculating about his comeback fight. It's probably going to be a welterweight title shot if you want me to do the smallest amount of uh, speculation here. Uh, I don't know. Like Michael Chandler would definitely fight him at welterweight. Um, but no, Connor is not coming back at lightweight. It seems silly to think that. Uh, he talked about coming back at middleweight, but I think that's completely silly in the opposite direction. His, his frame is not built for middleweight. And yeah, I mean, if he fights Chandler, he might force the fight to be at welterweight, which would just essentially be a lightweight fight without cutting, if you choose to look at it that way. Um, but, you know, as ever, MMA is a little bit more interesting whenever he's around causing carnage. So, um, I hope he gets to come back. I hope we see a number of fights before he retires. But certainly, we're in the Connor super fight era. We're not 
I don't think we're talking about title belts anymore. We might be talking about title fights, but winning them, that's gotten exponentially more different, more difficult, excuse me, in the few years now that Connor's been away. If you ignore the Poirier fights because he was fighting Poirier, who's um a little more old school in his approach, you know, those camps aren't the sort of camps that you need to do for your Charles Oliveras, your Islam Makachevs, your Kamara Usman's. Um, to say nothing of Leon Edwards, who I think will probably still hold the belt by the time Connor's getting back in there. I think they're all bad fucking nights for him. But, sorry, I said I wasn't going to speculate too much on his career, but moving right off the USC for a moment, I thought, personally, that 2022 was one of the best years so far for the competition to the UFC. Um, I don't have super strong evidence or numerical data to back this up, but I have my own awareness of them as fan, as a fan. Um, you know, I'd watch mixed martial arts anywhere if I thought it was going to be an insanely compelling fight. It wouldn't matter to me if, what banner it was under. It matters to me what time it's on because, uh, well, I'm on Vegas time, so I get to see a lot of it. I'm very, very lucky. Don't get me wrong. But let's just have a look at this. So this is why I thought Bellator had a good year because they firmly established the Grand Prix tournament model again and it's not quite as exciting in practice as it sounds when it gets announced but at least those announcements do generate a bit of buzz bellator is notoriously brutal absolutely terrible at promoting their fights like for a fight promotion they're pretty bad at it so it's nice to see that it gives a little bit more juice to some of these fights and i hope they do well with it this year it's lightweight and moving towards most likely I think a showdown between, or maybe this was the first round that got announced actually. Not quite certain, but at some point in that tournament, you're likely to have Usman Nurmagomedov, current lightweight champion, fighting AJ McKee, who I think is predominantly a featherweight, but he's chosen to move up for this. Is an exceptionally well-credentialed wrestler, so we're going to see American wrestling versus Sambo in a big, big way. Uh, Bellator also signed a deal with CBS, meaning they're back on cable television in America, which is not insignificant. They ran a co-promotion with Bare FC and they had MVP fight Mike Perry. Um, strange decision in that fight. It was a hard one to call. It was a sudden death round. Um, Mike Perry ultimately won. I'm not sure that was right. But again, kicking the doors open for co-promotion, I think, is the thing that all of these organizations need to be doing. Um, that's the best way to generate interest that will draw attention away from the UFC. And I think, you know, you know, most people know that the best fighters in the world are in the UFC. They're not getting paid the best there. Uh, so there are there is talent in other organizations, but it's hard to get for them to have enough talent to make deep divisions. So we're still a couple of years out maybe from them being super compelling, but we're on our way here. And I'd argue that the market share is shifting. Now, not by much, and the UFC still owns the absolute lion's share of the market. But these guys are coming on now. They're refining their product, and it's not bad. Uh, the last thing I say about Bellator's success in 2022 is them going back to the well of those Dublin cards again and again and again at the three arena. That's slam dunk for them. I imagine that's a great night out. Um, I hope they bring bigger and bigger production and bigger and badder fights every single time. Uh, I hope that Dublin gets to see Yoel Romero fight or any of the big names. Um, if I was at home, I'd be going to those and I feel like they would be great nights. The PFL, the Professional Fighting League, uh, they had a great year, I thought, with the Pacheco upset. She upset Kayla Harrison, giving her her first professional loss, uh, running out the trilogy with uh, an upset defeat. 
and just generally getting eyes on them. Um, most recently, they've announced a tournament or a not a tournament, excuse me, but a, an association with Jake Paul, whereby he can come and fight MMA. I think he signed to a two fight, two MMA fight deal. They've also got the Smart Cage, which I'm not quite sure what sort of feedback it provides, but they make a big deal out of it. With the PFL, I also quite like uh, the ref cam. They put a camera right on the referee as he's watching the action, so it's yet another angle there. So PFL, not too bad. There's a couple of big free agents now in mixed martial arts that we'll be talking about a little later on that they could make a great play for. And PFL, you know, the reason I think they gained a lot of ground this year predominantly was just people that flunked out or were or were thrown out of the UFC winning a million dollars in not as deep a trench of competition. So Anthony Pettis can't seem to get a win over there, but Brendan Lochnian, who was famously denied a contract on Dana White's Contender Series because he shot for a takedown in the last minute of the fight, Dana White famously said, that's not what we do here, and he was bounced out. But look at him now. Now he's a millionaire and a featherweight champion. Rob Wilkinson, who was battered by Israel Adesanya in Izzy's, uh, if not UFC debut, then his second fight in the UFC was against Rob Wilkinson. I'm pretty sure it was his debut. Um, brought in his cannon fodder against the UFC's new big kickboxing gun and bounced out shortly after. Now won their middleweight belt, or maybe light heavyweight actually, million quid in the bank. So I hope fighters are paying attention to that. Um, one championship, one, you know, you always hear these weird stories about one losing 75 grand here, there, and everywhere, but um, I guess at that size of corporation, those might be drops in the ocean. So I'm not going to say anything about their finances anymore because I don't understand finance at that level, you know, well enough to understand it. Um, sorry to talk about it, discuss it, break it down. I've really, really, really enjoyed watching one cards this um this past autumn, one now have a deal with... Oh, sorry. I want to just take one second to say one more thing about PFL. All those things about PFL, the Pacheco upset, signing Jake Paul, the smart cage, giving you ex-UFC fighters a million quid for winning tournaments. They're also on ESPN. They're on the world's largest sports broadcaster, which is the UFC's broadcast partner. So there's a opportunity there within ESPN for some cross-promotion of MMA. Now, how that works, keeping the companies separate and not advertising on each other's properties i'm not quite sure but certainly there's an opportunity there to do something and i feel like that is the biggest factor uh that makes pfl now the biggest competitor to the ufc i back that up further by just going backing up a little bit more and saying that there are also rumors swirling right now that bellator is up for sale so i don't think that it can truly claim the number two spot if it ever could. But one AFC out there in Asia doing whatever with finances, doing whatever with weight cutting, I don't fully understand that, but I don't believe it's solved, as Joe Rogan likes to say. They solved it. They solved it. You know, it's like, or they up some shit because I believe all of their weigh-ins is done, or, excuse me, are done behind closed doors. And we still get a lot of weight misses, so... I don't fully understand that, but their product is so wildly different, right? They Their deal is with Amazon Prime here in North America. I'm based in Canada, if you didn't know that. And they don't just do MMA cards. They will have a fight card that has mixed martial arts fights on it, that has kickboxing fights on it, that has Muay Thai fights on it, 
and has a, now got a grappling world championship. And they're all super interesting. Um, you're also getting to see a lot, of, well, a certain amount of crossover between the Muay Thai and the kickboxing. I believe the middleweight champion is their middleweight champ of both kickboxing and Muay Thai. So, you know, that guy, he's a Dutch dude. I can't think of his name. Um, but, you know, if he could win the MMA belt, then that's a huge deal there, right? So, one also obviously have Demetrius Johnson out there now. He finally got that belt back this year. They have an American show announced for May that Demetrius Johnson will headline, which I think is a brilliant bit of business for them. And I'm really, 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 truly loving the grappling fights more than anything because we're getting to see the biggest and the baddest of American grapplers that fight outside of mixed martial arts. So we've got the Rotolo brothers and we've got Mikey Musumeci. I'm sure I fucked that pronunciation up. Darth Rigatoni. Um, and they seem to be absolute destroyers. So it's it's very, very interesting to be watching as an MMA fan, looking for looking at BJJ fights and watching uh, opportunities for strikes opening up and then, you know, having to think to yourself, oh, they're not allowed to punch each other. So very, actually much more interesting, uh, much more of a spectator sport than I realized. They do one 10-minute round just in the middle of the cage. Yeah, surprisingly enjoyable, I would say. Rising out in Japan, uh, not that they had a good year, but they also kicked down the doors for co-promotion by doing a card with Bellator. So again, that's what these guys, I think, need to do. Just keep working on co-promoting things and then do a big versus card at some point and get a bunch of bad blood between the fighters and let's go. And very quickly, Burnuckle FC uh, sort of has increasing legitimacy. Everybody's just getting more and more used to seeing it out there. It still has a lack of very, very big names, but it is its own product and it's kind of a retirement plan for your favorite MMA fighters. They're also usually the first ones into the water whenever there is free agent blood moving around so when somebody leaves the ufc on bad terms bkfc are right in there and again that's going to play into something we're going to talk about later on today so uh bellator pfl one they are jockeying for second place right now i think pfl are in the lead then one bellator if they're going to get sold then that might be good, that might be bad. If they're going to stay in the Dylan Danis business, that's definitely bad. Um, they've got Fedor's uh, retirement fight this year, so it's not nothing, but um, it's still just not quite the UFC, and we all know that. So, moving right along to our third topic, Paddy the Baddies Big Bad Week. So how did Paddy the Baddies Big Bad Week get so big and get so bad? Paddy the Baddy... Of course, Paddy, we're talking about Paddy Pimblett, young fighter from Liverpool, 26 or 27 years of age, um, currently unbeaten in the UFC, incredibly good mixed martial arts record, not that many losses on there. Um, so, Paddy was riding high on his third win in the UFC. In 2022, he had, uh, going into his last fight, going into his big bad week, he had two fights that year on the March London card, which was absolutely barnstorming maybe the card of the year uh, that's where we had i'm actually not certain if that's where we had the molly mccann elbow knockout but i think it was and that's also where we had aspinall defeating alexander volkov so 
that was the biggest night in English MMA, British MMA, UK MMA, whatever fucking term you want to use for those rats. That was the biggest night for that in the longest fucking time. So when he gets the second fight in London against Jordan Levitt, who's a little bit tougher competition, but people are still like, okay, he's being, he's being, he's having his hand held through this division. Earns the win again, out grappling Jordan Levitt, um, handed him a, handed him a loss, uh, excuse me, a finish. Finished him via submission, which was the first time, I believe, in Jordan Levitt's career. But Jordan Levitt's still not like elite, elite competition. So we move into Paddy's big bad week in December before UFC 282, which was to be headlined in the end by Jan Blachowicz versus Magomed Ankalaev. And on, let's see, was it the Tuesday or Wednesday of fight week? We have Paddy's podcast, Chatting Pony, with special guest Dana White, president of the UFC. And for whatever reason, in this interview, to, I don't know, to brown nose Dana, or to suck up to Dana, or to make headlines, it's not quite clear. But he went in on Ariel Helwani, the host of the MMA Hour, an independent MMA podcast. Ariel's an independent journalist. He has dragged himself up by the bootstraps from absolutely nothing. He's a nerd from Montreal who has risen to be the biggest journalist in mixed martial arts, having won Best Mixed Martial Arts Journalist of the Year 13 years straight at the Mixed Martial Arts Awards. The MMAJ, Mixed Martial Arts Journalism Awards. The MMAJ. Say that 15 times fast. So it's a really, really terrible look. You know, it's like Paddy, a young up-and-coming fighter from Liverpool, siding with the oligarch against the self-made man. And not only that, but like, saying fighters shouldn't complain about pay, they get paid what they're worth. And generally just massaging Dana's ego. Dana was all laughing and, this is the best podcast I've ever been on. And there's a whole crew of fucking wankers in the room. Yes, man, laughing at everything they're saying. And it's a bad, bad, bad look. And I really didn't feel good watching it because although Ariel isn't my favorite journalist and MMAR isn't my favorite show, I have nothing but respect for the man's career and... His work ethic, according to everyone behind the scenes, is second to none. He never releases wrong information. Okay, he gets it so right that sometimes he has it before the UFC has made it public, and that's why he's banned from UFC events, and that's why Dana White has a personal vendetta against him. Um, why Paddy felt he had to jump in and join in on this, I just don't know. It's extremely ill-advised. And Uriel came out a week later. Sorry. Maybe a day later, maybe the same day, with one hour and 15, broke down everything Paddy and Dana said and categorically proved that it all wasn't true. The grip of the argument was that Paddy said, Ariel asked him to forego a paid interview somewhere else to come on his show for an interview. Ariel provided all of the receipts, including text messages, Dates, times, voice messages, what was Paddy, what was his manager, Graham Boylan. And why this is bad, bad news is because you, you don't pay for interviews. That's unethical journalism. 
then you're inclined to give that person more favorable coverage. They're able to ask you to take something out. That sort of thing. Then you're in business with someone. Then it's a business relationship. It's not journalism anymore. Now, maybe you're like, mm, that doesn't really matter to us. But look, it matters in journalism, okay? It has to be kept. Church and state have to remain separated. So the text messages prove that the Ariel was trying to set something up with Patty, yes. But it's Graham Boylan, the manager, who asks what the budget is. So Ariel comes back and it's like, well, what do you mean, what's the budget? There's no budget, you know that. That's unethical and I'm a bit annoyed that you've asked, to be honest. So they throw the hands up and then they don't talk to Ariel for, you know, a year until this interview. And Ariel, I don't think, ever mentioned it. Now, he mentioned it without using any names the following day on a different podcast. And Graham Boylan also posted on Instagram that day that anybody that he manages should be getting paid for interviews. So people worked it out that way, but Ariel's hands are clean. He didn't put Patty and Graham's name out there. On the subject of Graham Boylan, nobody, well, Ariel mentioned it, but it wasn't sort of the crux of his argument, but there's an almost assured, definite conflict of interest there in business terms. Graham Boylan is the lead promoter for Cage Warriors and also manages a lot of those fighters and is responsible then for negotiating any of those fighters' contracts with the UFC. So he's kind of an important part of this. So that's kind of unethical. It's a very, very bad look. They call Ariel things like rodent and rat. And, you know, Ariel has been very, very much taking the high road here. And he hasn't used the words anti-Semitic, which I think a lesser man would have by now. And, you know, he's not calling for anybody to quit or anything. Or, you know, he's just, he doesn't like lies. And he's been extremely forceful in putting the truth out there and it's been incredible journalism to watch he's fired up he's passionate i don't see you don't have to like him but he does very very good work so aside from the former fuck the tories guy siding with an american conservative donald trump's friend republican party donate the donator donor <laughs> excuse me that would have been bad and all could have been forgiven, probably, right? This is the MMA. We're not here for fucking politeness. We're not here because everyone knows how to watch their mouth or because everyone knows how to keep their temper. But on fight night, Patty fights an incredibly close fight that the very, very, very vast majority of people believe that he lost against Jared Gordon, who is a former 145-pounder. Now, they fight to a decision, and it's a lackluster fight. Paddy does not look good. He gets hit a lot. People are stunned by the decision, and in Paddy's post-fight speech, he makes a bad, ill-advised joke about the whole Ariel thing that Joe Rogan doesn't get or laugh at, and nobody in the arena does. Everything he says in that interview sort of falls flat, he says, I want it cleanly, and everyone in the world is like, what? So his stock has dropped, I think, quite a lot. He's become a heel almost overnight. Now, we also sort of saw with the Jared Gordon fight, what is Paddy's ceiling in the UFC? And the thing is that it's that's a low ceiling. Okay, there's... Man, people in the top 15 at Lightweight would do fucking scurry things to Paddy the Body. 
it's going to be about selective matchmaking again for a while. I mean, the names they're talking about giving him. Drew Dober wants in there. You can't see him fighting Dober. That's nuts. Uh, Terence T-Rex McKinney wants a piece of him, but T-Rex is going to be in the rankings before too long. He fights on Saturday night. It's Monday right now. You know, to say nothing of the guys that are in the top 10, like, think about what Jalen Turner would do to Paddy the Batty. I just... It's an awful look. One of the rising stars that you could get behind because you're from Liverpool. Fuck the Tories. The mental health stuff. The trying to keep it real. The extremely fun relationship with Molly McCann. Watching them support each other. You almost feel like you're part of the fucking team for God's sake. And, you know, they caused a ruckus this year. Big time in the right way. And you know what was fucking bad decision making by the UFC? Why were they split up over those last two cards of the year? Why was Molly McCann, who was on track to win knockout of the year, um, maybe most improved fighter, I don't know, uh, but like, she was paired up with Erin Blanchfield, who destroyed her. I mean, Molly didn't get a single bit of offense off in that fight. Erin Blanchfield's a fucking hammer. How did they not see that coming? And why have her fight one month and Patty fight the next? Why not bring that atmosphere back one more time? So I think that threw a little bit of bad juju onto the whole situation. Would I be ready to forgive and forget and welcome Paddy back in as the next big thing with another huge win? It has to be extremely convincing. First round finish, clean, get your fucking chin down. Like, his chin is there to be found. You wouldn't need a chin-seeking missile. Um, so Drew Dober would do extremely bad things to him. Um, I think we're sort of done talking about Paddy maybe fighting for a belt someday. <sighs> I don't know if we're definitely done with the Paddy versus Connor talk because who knows promotionally that might make sense. Um, but it leads me to my next topic also. Uh, piss poor judging. That's enough already. Okay. Um, certainly individual judges are a problem. Douglas Crosby in this case who turned in the worst scorecard of the Paddy fight. Um, I think he gave him all three rounds when it was inconceivable that he would have Paddy winning the first. He turned in the worst card ever, the worst scorecard ever seen in mixed martial arts the night before at Bellator in the Rafion Stotts Danny Sabatello fight, which Rafion Stotts won by majority decision. Douglas Crosby was the dissenting decision, and he gave Danny Sabatello every single round. Do some looking into Doug Crosby. It's nuts. The man is a walking ethical fucking nightmare. He has his, he's like, oh, I got my own philosophy to fighting. What? No, you don't. There's a fucking rule set. The mixed martial arts unified rule set. And you have to follow that. Some states haven't totally adopted the newest version of that. But that's on you to fucking know that. You're a judge. So he's got relationships with fighters. He gets them into movies and stuff. It's like, it's awful. It's one of those really shady things that MMA can't fucking do anymore it's too legit now they're talking about it being one of the big four of sports in america i mean what's it replacing hockey i don't know but with that increased attention increased revenue increased notoriety comes like increased scrutiny obviously so while i think that individual judges are a little bit the problem douglas crosby adelaide bird dimension two if the rules allow for those different 
if the rules allow for such a large range of interpretations of what the three same people just watched, then it's a rule problem, I feel like. Those need to be tightened up, and then the judges have less. But it's super complicated. I don't have all the answers, but enough piss-poor judging because immediately after the party, the body fight, we have the Jan Blachowicz, uh, Magomed Ankalaev fight and it ends in a majority draw. There's now no USC light heavyweight champion. That's causing promotional chaos. I felt that Jan took the first three rounds and Ankalaev took the last two. I thought he was extremely dominant in the last round. I don't know for certain if I would have given that or if it meets the criteria for a 10-8 round, which obviously brings the score to a draw then. But the point being that there's room for interpretation here, there's room for error, and that needs to be fucking stamped out. All right, so uh, also briefly, fuck the Apex. Let's get the hell out of there. They're having tons of fights there because obviously it's cheap. They own the building. They don't have to rent it. But the... Although it is fun in some fights, absolutely, to hear the impact of the blows and the corner. It's particularly interesting to hear the different corner advice. Like, if you think about the crowd and how the crowd elevates fights like Paddy the Body fights, just for talk's sake, you know, there is an atmosphere there and it's a little bit more entertaining than those Apex fights. Now, um, have we seen some amazing fights at the Apex? Absolutely. But um, is it just not the best? Is it a smaller cage? Yeah. So... Doesn't favour my kind of on their bike, in and out strikers. So let's just move on from that. Let's get the UFC back on the road. Let's get bringing it to different markets in North America, particularly west coast of Canada. Know what I'm saying? So the next topic I want to go to is the just the very quiet but very, very serious influx of Russian and Eastern European fucking hammers. And they are coming for your favourite fighters and they're coming this year. You know, these guys have been... By and large, these guys have been racking up win streaks on the prelims. Okay, we're talking three, five, seven in some cases. Nobody in the top 15 wants to fight them because they're established there. You know, they've been in the top 15, but these guys can't break through because nobody will take fights with them. So we're going to get forced into watching round robins of these eastern european hammers having to hammer each other all year and it's across it's pretty much we've pretty much got one in every single division right now so if you don't know who i'm talking about let me let you know kamzat chimaev fights at welterweight and middleweight vacillates between the two we're not quite sure where exactly his future is going to be Shavkat Rachmanov 16-0 undefeated in mixed martial arts coming on in the welterweight division can't get a fight uh was supposed to fight I think Neil Magny and that failed through was supposed to fight uh Ryan Barberina and that's fallen through so you know he was looking for a rank guy because he's 16-0 with I think three wins in the UFC and a great command of moving between strikes and control and ground and pound and just like seems to have extremely extremely high fight IQ it seems like we might see Kamzat fight Shavkat this year I don't know what exactly you do with Kamzat next after he missed the welterweight limit by over eight pounds last time round does he set his future at middleweight now that Alex Pereira is the champ it's difficult to know the UFC worked on getting a late last minute fight at 
Uh, the card is coming up this Saturday, UFC Rio, which would have seen Kamzat Shemaev take on Alex Pereira at £205. Uh, that would not have been a non-title fight, I assume, at that point. Uh, now, just retired is Demir Ismagulov. Um, so, but I still wanted to give mentions. I wanted to just sort of illuminate this thing about the Russians. They're all, they're all, they're already here. It's not like they're not coming. This is it. They're just about to break out, and they're in every fucking division. Demir Ismagulov was unranked at lightweight on a nineteen-fight win streak. Dude, let that fucking sink in there. He was unranked at lightweight in the UFC. Riding a 19-fight win streak. Now, I'm not certain how many of those fights were in the UFC, but several. Okay, he's not. he wasn't a one-and-donner. And he retired just recently because he got manhandled for every minute of three fucking rounds by Armin Saryukian, who I believe is now ranked. Let's just check where. Okay, Saryukian straight in at number nine in the lightweight rankings with that win over Demir Ismagulov. Dude, Armin can do it all. He looks badass. His only loss in MMA is to Islam Makachev, who we all know is the champ. Moving to the much higher weights, Megamid Ankalaev, obviously they're at light heavyweight. You know, he is going to hold that belt at some point. I think it was pretty bad fight IQ or game planning, decision making that cost him the belt against Jan. I don't think that he fought a terrible fight or that he's unable to. That was just a bad night for him, basically. If there's a rematch, he takes it all day long. If it goes to Glover, he takes it all day long. Um, Jamal Hill, I think, might be the X factor there because he knocks motherfuckers out. But we're focusing on the Russian guys here. So they've got Kamzad at welterweight, a middleweight, Shavkat at welterweight, Demiris Magulov was a lightweight, Sarukian's at lightweight, Ankalaev is at um, light heavyweight. There's a new guy as well. I searched so hard for his name before this. I, I've seen it on Instagram so many times. Um, it's Magomed something. It might be his first name, might be his surname. I'm not quite sure. Kind of got brown hair and a beard and a, a bit of a lazy eye. I'm so sorry. I know that's not a flattering description, but he's supposed to be an incredible striking phenom. He's coming on now. I believe he's a featherweight. But... Even if you want to discount this new guy, because I don't know who he is, we've got Mosvor Evloyev in there at uh, Featherweight, and him versus Bryce Mitchell was going to be the grappling fight of the fucking millennium. Unfortunately, that fall through, fell through. <sighs> Bryce Mitchell had to fight the upcoming Ilya Topuria, who beat the fucking brakes off him. Now, I think Ilya might actually be Spanish, but he's worth mentioning this because he is an absolute hammer. And he is a problem for the division at featherweight, okay? Ilya Tupuria, dude, problem. What he did to Bryce Mitchell was not funny. Bryce Mitchell's not a fucking joke either. It was it was bad horse. Bantamweight then, we have to worry about Umar Nurmagomedov, Khabib's younger brother. Um, he just scored a knockout on the first card of the year, the UFC Fight Night uh, Vegas, whatever number. Um, and it was his first career knockout. He didn't even know he'd done it. It was uh, an instinctual thing. He missed. He whiffed on a flying knee. Not by much. But he instinctually threw left hook because he was the right knee, so his left arm was closer. And knocked the guy straight out. The momentum taking him forward on the flying knee was enough to go on the punch, which he threw with like nothing on it, but it just carried straight through. The guy was out cold. You could see in his post fight interview that he was not cool or comfortable with knocking the guy out. 
So that's how unintentional it was. He like felt weird about it, you know? Like Rogan always talks about how when he knocked people out in kickboxing, it's weird. So, but, dude, Umar's stats are fucking scurry. Let's have a look at those. Now, um, I will say full, full disclosure, um, Luke Thomas read through Umar's stats on, uh, his live broadcast following the most recent UFC card. So that's how I know about this. I'm basically just repeating his bit. But for your benefit, this data is incredible. Umar Nurmagomedov, brother of Khabib, professional mixed martial arts record now, 16-0. and 27 years of age, fights a bantamweight, uh, 5 foot 8 inches tall, pretty good for the weight class. 16-0, and 0, possibly 17-0. and 0. This might not have updated since the last... Excuse me, since the last card. Uh, he's got four UFC fights so far. Only one has gone to decision. And where are, like, his grappling stats, etc., etc.? Let me see. Okay, here's the important stuff. Strikes landed per minute, 4.85. Strikes absorbed per minute, 0.73. That means the differential is over four. That's statistically extremely significant. And defends 75% of strikes. So he lands 70% of what he throws. And he defends 75% of what you throw. His takedown average per 15 minutes is 4.28. That's very high. His takedown accuracy is 45%. Which you sort of expect in Sambo guys. Because they move in and out. And they use it to set up striking sometimes. Um, his takedown defense is 100%. I don't believe he's ever been taken down. Uh, with a submission average of... Uh, 0.9 submissions per 15 minutes. So not insignificant. Uh, still got a submission threat there for sure. Two of his wins in the UFC are rear naked chokes. Yeah, so I just thought I'd get into the details of what he's done so far there for you guys because that's scary. Um, at middleweight, we have Nasruddin Im- Imavov. I've noticed the commentator saying Imavov, whereas normally I would have said Imavov, but whatever. Now, yes, he just took the defeat to Sean Strickland, but... This is a guy who's on coming at 185 pounds with a grappling heavy style in a division that favours strikers right now with Israel Adesanya, Pereira, um, to a lesser extent Robert Whittaker. Um, I don't think that the Strickland loss will truly hold Nasruddin back. He weighed in at 194 and the late notice replacement Sean Strickland weighed in at 204. So, um, And it's just that Strickland anti-fighting style. So... Strange one. I um, I think Nasruddin can be good. Then we have Guram Kuta Deladze, who's an oncoming wrestler in the lightweight division. And then a similar guy at welterweight, Fakhratdinov. I just saw Fakhratdinov's, I saw Fakhratdinov's UFC debut. He fought a three-round fight and had 14 minutes of control time. Brian Battle didn't get into that fight whatsoever. Supposed to be currently retired, but let's see how it goes. Zabit Magomed Shapiro of the Kung Fu Karate um, spinning kick Dagestani. You know, he's got a much more striking heavy style than a lot of these guys. Um, supposed to be completely retired. Uh, was fighting with the UFC over not getting a title shot. So, um, hard to say, but was incredible when he was on his game. Um, who else do we have? Usman Nurmagomedov is the Bellator 155-pound champ right now. In heavyweight in the UFC, we have Sergei Pavlovich coming on with his destruction of Taitu Ivasa. Um, very, very powerful, not super tidy, so I don't know if we're talking about a title challenger here. Perhaps challenger, but I doubt winner. 
um, with what's going on at heavyweight right now. But he's come on. He's strong as hell. He knocks motherfuckers in the next week. Uh, then we have flyweight. We have Askar Askarov, who's a wrestling heavy fighter. Um, and there's also in the UFC, Saeed Nurmagomedov, who is kind of mercurial. He's not related to the other Dagestani fighters. He fights out of America, um, but very talented and had a, a very surprising win there recently. He was le- losing every minute, every second of the round. I think it ended in round one and got caught. Uh, sorry, excuse me, managed to catch a submission like only a Nurmagomedov can. So, yeah, weird that he's definitely not related to Khabib. They've come out and said that. And, you know, on the subject of the Russian Eastern European hammers, let's just say as well that, like, for a fact, in 2022, Khabib was the coach of the year. I think he went, whatever, like, 10-0 as a coach. None of his guys lost. He taught Bilal Muhammad how to strike, and Bilal beat the fucking brakes off Sean Brady, who I thought was the dark horse at welterweight. I was like, you know, this guy's an all-American wrestler, but you just need more than one thing. You need A and B games if you're going to win, and especially if you're going to defend a title in the UFC these days. Um, but have I made my point? Like, the Russia is coming on, and as I say, it's not coming on in the future. It's it's happening right now. Shavkat's next fight will propel him, surely, into the top 10. Not even top 15, surely top 10. Wait, is he ranked right now? Let's just have a quick check. Excuse me, I'm way behind. Shavkat Rachmanov ranked 10th at welterweight right now, ahead of George Masvidal, ahead of Neil Magny, ahead of Michael Chiesa, ahead of Michelle Torreira, and ahead of the leech Li Jingliang. And that feels about right. So let's just see who's above him here. Vincente Luque, I'd favour him to win that fight. Sean Brady, I'd favour him to win that fight. Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal's a little bit of a tougher out. Uh, Stephen Thompson. Dude. After what Wonderboy did to Kevin Holland, I don't know who fights him and looks good, looks great, without just holding him down. But Shavkat, I think, has the option to hold him down for the entire fight, if he so wishes. Uh, Gilbert Burns. Yeah, where the fuck are they not making Gilbert Burns versus Shavkat? Burns has been out here calling for a fight for weeks. Months, maybe. Um, Shavkat versus Bilal Muhammad. Would love to see it. That's a very... I think that's a... I really think that's a competitive fight. Competitive. I'm not saying one definitely wins or how they win or one blows one out of the water, but that's a competitive fight. Shavkat versus Kamzad, who's ranked third right now. Yes, of course. Let's fucking see it. Hammer versus Hammer. Let's go. Shavkat versus Colby. Well, I believe they're trying to get Colby to fight uh, Kamzat. Uh, Shavkat versus Usman. Um, I think Kamzat's, or Shavkat's skill set matches up nicely with Usman, but Usman is going to be busy with Leon, obviously. Um, I just, I literally don't think there's a bad fight for Shavkat in the top 15 there. Um, matches up with the champion well. Yeah, one to watch. If you weren't already watching out, fucking get watching out. Ilya Tapuria, who we mentioned there, is ranked at ninth in uh, featherweight right now. Giga Chikadze, is he Russian? He's good too. Um, his fight with Calvin Cater last year, I believe, is still free on YouTube and is immense. Umar needs a big fight. Umar, uh, no matter of a bantamweight, um, I think he matches up crazy good with a lot of these guys. Ricky Simone, right, so he's at 11, here's who's ahead of him, Ricky, and if I think it would be a good fight, Ricky Simone, yeah, I think he cleans him out, Pedro Munoz cleans him out, 
Song Yidong cleans him out. Don Cruz at this stage cleans him out. Rob Font, that's where it starts to get tricky. Rob Font is a hell of a fighter. Cordy Sanhagen, a hell of a fighter. Marlon Vera, a hell of a fighter. But yeah, he's going to need to go to yeah, the top six to get a competitive fight. Um, he probably destroys Sean O'Malley just because of styli- the stylistic thing there. Um, Marlon Vera would be a very good fight, but should we maybe just get these hammers against each other and have Umar fight Marab Valishvili? Um, Marab's in that weird place where his best buddy Aljamain is champ. He beats everybody, but he won't fight the champ. So what the hell are you going to do this year, Marab? Weird one. Fight Umar. Let's, you know, put your money where your fucking mouth is. If you think you're that good, and who else do we got on here? I don't think any of the rest of these guys are ranked. Imavov, possibly. Uh, Imavov in at number 12 at middleweight currently. Not sure if that moved due to the Sean Strickland loss. There's no arrow beside it right now. Fakradinov is brand new. Usman Namagomedov is obviously a very highly ranked at Bellator. Sergei Pavlovich might be in the heavyweight. I mean, he's definitely in the heavyweight rankings. Were, though. Third currently, so possible belt challenge this year. Askar Askarov is ranked near the top of flyweight too. He is in at okay, no ranking for Askar Askarov right now. Okay, that's my bad. I thought he was ranked. And is Saeed Namagomedov ranked? Yes, he's ranked fifteenth at bantamweight right now. So you got two Namagomedovs at bantamweight there. Not to mention Peter Yan, who's an established Russian hammer. Murad Valishvili might not be Russian, I don't think, perhaps by descent, but um, has the is the wrestling grappling pedigree of those guys. So you know, bantamweight remains the best fucking division in the UFC. Except no argument. Except no argument on that one. Okay, so for right now, we're going to take a break. I don't know if I'm going to separate these episodes into part one and part two. But for right now, I'm going to have some dinner and chill the fuck out. When I come back, we're going to be talking through the biggest cards that UFC have announced so far. So that's Rio, Perth, Vegas and London. And then we get into some of the nitty gritty shit. The James Krause situation. Dana hitting his wife on New Year's Eve. Nate Diaz, a free agency. John Bones Jones return fight and legacy. There's an eight-week unbroken stretch of cards coming up. Going to try and pick out some of the good ones there. Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. We're going to do some fantasy matchmaking for 135 and 155. I'm going to pick my end-of-the-year champs. And I'm also going to be letting you know about some fights that I'll break down in full. As well as the very best places to get your mixed martial arts news that isn't Punkadelic Podcast. So, I'll see you guys all very soon. If that's within this episode, great. If not, please go to part two ASAP. Peace, love, Punkadelic. You're very welcome back to Punkadelic Podcast, Punkadelophiles. We are still setting out our MMA in 2023 slate. Here is what we've covered so far. If you need to go back and get caught up on this, please do. Um, Conor McGregor and his USADA exemptions talking about the other players in the MMA space, not the UFC, and the great year that they had in 2022. And we've been talking about Paddy the Body's Big Bad Week. We've been talking about the piss-poor judging. We've been saying, fuck the apex. And we talked about all of the incoming Russian-slash-Eastern-European hammers in a UFC. So uh, we're going to move right along from there. But I guess maybe just to put a bow underneath all of that stuff about the Eastern European hammers is 
know, we went through a, a decent list of them and um not to say that everybody there is going to be a champion or a rank contender, but just something that speaks to the durability and the grittiness of people from that region. And yeah, it's just, it's their time. That is going to be one of the things. Like you always hear me talking about, oh, we can't have um, Sambo champions because uh, I love to see flow and striking going on in there. And I also love a well-spoken champion that makes passionate speeches. So uh, sometimes the Russians are just a bit direct, to the point, not much crack out of them. But um, they're, they're common, they're problems. And it's not trying to be a hipster, you know, um, like it, it, they're coming on, they're coming on in every single division. Um, some of the results are undeniable. I mean, Pavlovich, uh, Kamzat, um, Saryukian, like mark my words, not to say that they're all going to be champs or ranked or whatever, but like, these guys all have a great chance of doing really big things this year, um, making crazy good ground in their respective divisions. So um, watch out for those guys. That's for damn sure. Um, all right, so let's move on and talk about some of these big, big fight cards we have coming up here. On Saturday, UFC 283. Okay, we've got tons of fights on this card. Um so starting at the bottom with the early prelims and working up to the main event, Simon Oliveira versus Daniel Marcos, Josiane Nunes taking on Zara Fern dos Santos at women's featherweight, Worley Alves fighting Nicholas Dolby at welterweight, that'll probably be a fucking bloodbath, there's one for you, right on the early prelims, get that fight pass bought, and then... Uh, Ismael Bonfim taking on Terence T-Rex McKinney, 13-4 and four streaking. Uh, is he ranked at lightweight yet? Surely this is the fight to do it. If not, let's see. Nope, not ranked just yet. A bantamweight. Luan Lacerda taking on Cody Stamen. Wrestling staple of the bantamweight division there. At heavyweight, Shamil Abdurakimov taking on Jelton Almeida. Jelton Almeida is a very highly pipped tipped prospect um, at heavyweight who has a complete skill set I believe like ground game striking everything extraordinarily well rounded so one to watch this year also uh, let's see at middleweight Brad Tavares was supposed to be taking on Gregory Rodriguez but it's been cancelled Thiago Moises was supposed to be taking on Guram Kutadiladze as mentioned in the Russian Hammer section but that's been cancelled so who is fighting on these fucking prelims Gabriel Bonfim and Monreal Lazes. Tiago Moises is now fighting Melchizel Costa. Uh, at middleweight, Gregory Rodriguez taking on Bruno Ferreira. A light heavyweight, Mauricio Shogun Hua in his retirement fight. He's drawn Ihor Putera for their light heavyweight clash. Moving on to the main card, we open up with the Scottish-Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu phenom, Paul Craig. Either it top, either he tops, naps, or it snaps. Taking on the illustrious Johnny Walker, former stripper, SVG Ireland prospect. Both trying to make their claim to number one contender spot and get those coveted title shots. Now that light heavyweight seems to be all kinds of open... Also, if we have any weight fucking around there, these are your backups, no doubt, for your main event. So don't be uh, don't be stunned if you see uh, a remixed main event. Um, you know how these things go. We've had one card in the UFC so far this year, and it's had a, 
a replacement, a last minute replacement main event. Uh, women's flyweight Lauren Murphy tries to reestablish her uh, status as the number one contender and next for another crack uh, at Valentina Shevchenko against Jessica Andrade. So that's a crazy important fight at women's flyweight. Lauren Murphy with the wrestling, Andrade with stellar grappling, possibly with submission of the year last year with the standing, standing guillotine. Um, this is where my knowledge of the game fails me. Anyway, you know the one I'm talking about. It was scary. Um, nobody's ever done it before, if I'm not mistaken. So that's going to be interesting. Um, I don't know. Like, you feel like Andrade takes that? Divisional stakes are because Tatiana Suarez comes back a flyweight this year. Tyler Santos gave Valentina Shevchenko a fight of her life last year. So, you know, that division could just be about to rock and roll. I know flyweight, women's flyweight has not been the most exciting. I think that's relatively fair to say. Um, but, you know, being objective, not just being a male pig about it. And that's something I want to improve on this show is not to be dismissive or make jokes about women's fights because... I am in awe of all of these athletes and their abilities, um, and I shouldn't discriminate. So I will be trying to watch that moving forward this year. Um, that's crazy important. Uh, not really sure what's going to happen there. Uh, at Weatherweight, Gilbert Burns fighting Neil Magny. Gilbert Burns trying to move back into that title picture. Neil Magny trying to break that top five, which he just never seems to be able to do. A flyweight. Davison Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno, number four. This is uh it's a stalemate after the rubber match because the first one was a draw. Then we have the Moreno submission. Then we have Figueredo winning uh over a very hard one, five round decision. So this one is now for all the marbles. This is essentially the rubber match in Figueredo's back garden. And just the story of this fight is just bonkers. Like there's Moreno. Fights his ass off on like from age 16 to like 19 in Mexico. Gets picked for the ultimate fighter. He's seeded 16th out of 16. Dead last. Expected to drop out of the show altogether. Wins the whole goddamn ultimate fighter. Into the UFC. Couple of fights. Doesn't go brilliantly. Cut back to the Mexican regional circuit. Fights his way to the very top. Doesn't lose a single fight in Mexico. Back to the UFC, claws his way to the top and enters into the first ever title quadrilogy. Davison Figueroa not without his own interests and storylines to watch out for here. You know, sort of this is not the most interesting thing about this fight, but Davison Figueroa is fucking huge for a flyweight. Massive. He's almost assuredly going to have a future at bantamweight, um, but his head coach is Henry Cejudo, so it, it, that's a little wrinkle there. But I am... Um, these two as athletes against each other never mind the physical attributes the skill sets coming up against each other and so well rounded both um, they've seen all kinds of offense from both fighters and uh, I personally just cannot wait I can't believe it's taken four fights to get this settled remember a couple of years ago um, right before these two broke through as title contenders like they were talking about shit canning the entire men's flyweight division so that just tells you where you are now today because now we're like you know, that uh, Matt Schnell fight was a fight of the year candidate last year. You have, um, admittedly, that's a cross in one. But you have Demetrius Johnson, who's fighting on American soil. Everyone's very excited about it. Um, flyweight. Flyweight is just not as bad a division as Dana White likes to make it out to be. So that's our co-main event. And then going down Saturday, 21st of January, 
in Rio de Janeiro, the UFC's vacant light heavyweight strap is on the fucking line. Glover Teixeira, 42 years of age, is he going to reclaim it? Well, not if Jamal... Uh, Sweet Dreams Hill has anything to say about it and he knocks people into the fucking shadow realm he is so unlucky not to have a perfect record in mixed martial arts he's currently riding a record of 11 and 1 with no no contests and that one coming for our old friend Paul Craig giving him the old bendy arm but Jamal Hill is showing superhuman toughness and did not tap I don't believe so um What's to be said about this fight? I mean, Glover obviously should have had his chance last month, but didn't want to change the style of fighter for the fight on that short of notice. Um, or these guys fighting for a belt that they're just going to keep warm for Magomed Ankalaev. You know, light heavyweight is a little more interesting now than it's been in a few years with this round robin sort of going on at the top. Anthony Smith waiting in the wings, um, undoubtedly. Uh, going to be looking for another shot this year and one more big win he's going to get it and that next fight for him was going to come against Jamal and I felt like that kind of favoured Anthony uh, with his jiu-jitsu so there you go the light heavyweight division are we going to have a new king crowned is it going to be the 25 year old Jamal Hill or is it going to be the 42 year old Glover Teixeira I would prefer if neither man could lose this fight but let's just really hope for a great competition here and um as with all these cards, no ref bullshit, no bad calls, no injuries, no groin strikes, eye pokes, or anything that leaves any of the results in doubt. So, that's UFC 283. Then after that, we get UFC Fight Night, Lewis versus Spivak. That's on at a weird time, so watch out, don't miss it. Uh, featuring the return of Do Ho Choi, the Korean Superboy, is back for military service. And uh, will he be able to do the things that he was doing to Cub Swanson ever again in the octagon? If we can get even a glimpse of the man that he was that night. He was a Superman, not a Superboy that night. Um, if he's able to tap back into that, uh, then there's honestly no telling what his ceiling is because it's it was that was a crazy fight. Um, the next super big card then is UFC 284 coming out of Perth, Australia. Uh, that's at 3 p.m. on a Wednesday for me here on Vegas time, fight country. Uh, the card opens with. Loma Lukbunmi, women's strawweight kickboxer, taking on Elise Reed. Then we got Jack Jenkins, Australian prospect, fresh off Dana White's Container Series. Ten and two fighters taking on Don Sheenis, who's got a record of 12 and 4. On the regular old prelims, then, uh, featured prelim was going to be middleweight clash between Robert Whitaker and Paolo Costa. Boracinia, but that has of course been cancelled in spectacular fashion, um, claiming it was never booked in the first place. All kinds of skullduggery going on there. Uh, flyweight Shannon Ross has taken on Cledson Rodriguez. Joshua Kulibau has taken on Melsic Baghdad Syrian at featherweight after that. Then a light heavyweight Tyson Pedro, oncoming possible future star, taking on Zhang Mingyang, who I'm going to go out on a limb and say is probably Asian. For our main card in UFC Perth, in the light heavyweight division, Jimmy the Brute Crew taking on Alonzo Manfield. Never heard of Alonzo, so hopefully he's just set up to feel we all get to ride the crew train a little bit longer. That heavyweight Justin Taffa, um, 
fighter, if I'm not mistaken, of Maori or Aboriginal descent, gets the hometown scrap against Parker Porter, who also sounds extremely Australian, to be honest. Uh, one of your fighters of the year last year in the welterweight division, Jack Della Madalena. Three fights, three finishes in the UFC. Uh, first and second round, all I want to say also, taking on Randy Brown, who's no slouch in the welterweight division. Let's see how Jack can start off 2023 in the featherweight division with an interim title on a line Yair El Pantera Rodriguez taking on Josh Emmett whose nickname I don't know damn are you not like does anyone else not just get like a mental fight boner even hearing the name Yair Rodriguez like, I think it should be whispered at all times Yair Rodriguez you know and you gotta put the stank on it Yair El Pantera Rodriguez just do you remember what he did to the Korean zombie? Do you remember the circumstances? Do you remember, like, it wasn't a fluke either. He tried it earlier in the fight. Do you remember when he fought Max Holloway in a fight of the year candidate that nobody came out and said was the fight of the year? In 2020, I want to say that was. Maybe, two, oh, maybe 21. Not quite sure, but... Dude, if you didn't see Max versus Yair, get seeing that fight. People forget Max got a ground game. <sighs> Big stakes there, obviously. Um, hard to know what to say. I love Yair Rodriguez, that style, the creativity, the flowing nature of it all. I mean, Josh Emmett is more of a workhorse, the wrestling pedigree, ready to grind it out. Who's going to get their offense off? It's a long trip for both boys from North America and Mexico. Damn, that's going to be fireworks, so. And then, headlining UFC 284 from Perth, Australia, is a little old fight called Islam Makachev versus Alexander Volkanovsky for the £155 undisputed lightweight title. Are you not entertained just hearing it? Come on, everybody. Mahachev, the next coming of Khabib, looks even better, if that's possible. Um, everyone says he has a striking game uh, that is not that has not been fully displayed in the UFC yet. And then Volkanovski is your pound-for-pound pound number one fighter on Earth right now, taking huge leaps forward in the in the third Max fight, putting that trilogy to bed. They'll never fight Max against Volk again, if they can help it. Alright, you know, circumstances might demand that might not age that well, but if the UFC can help it, they won't book that again. And then, what do you say about this fight? Like, this is one that I'm going to look into extremely hard and bring uh, sort of a breakdown over 45 minutes to an hour to this show here and we'll just be going back and forth and there's going to be things this is going to be obviously very ground game heavy and it's going to require me to look into concepts that I don't fully understand but God willing with YouTube's help I'll get through it and then I'll give you all of the talking points so you can fucking bullshit your way through it down the pub too. After that one we have our UFC Fight Night Vera versus Sandhagen which is like it's <sighs> I don't, I, I don't have the words. It's so crazy that this is being fought without fans. You could put this in almost any city on earth. And, you know, call it whatever. UFC Bogota. UFC Lisbon. UFC Frankfurt. UFC Beijing. You know, like anywhere. 
the only other fight announced for that at this time is Tyler Santos versus Erin Blanchfield, which is two of the biggest hitters at women's flyweight coming together. Blanchfield will storm up the rankings if she beats Santos, and um, you could be looking at a Blanchfield title fight. If not this year, then very early next year. There is a fight night on the 25th of February without too much fun announced for it. At UFC 285 in Las Vegas, in your heavyweight main event, fighting for the vacant, undisputed UFC heavyweight championship belt, John Bones Jones versus Cyril Gahn. Are you fucking joking me? Of course we're going to get into that in more detail in a little bit. And then UFC 286. Not everything is announced just yet, but we've got a great slate here to work with. Jake Hadley taking on Malcolm Gordon at flyweight. Joanne Wood. Joanne, uh, that's Joanne Calderwood, I'm assuming that's supposed to be, right? Women's flyweight, 15 and 8. Uh... Okay, taking on Luana Carolina. Hopefully it's a better result for Joanne than it was at UFC Glasgow a few years back when every single Scottish fighter took a loss. At featherweight, Nathaniel Wood taking on Lerone Murphy. Nathaniel Wood trying to stake his name in that division and get ranked. I'm not certain either of these guys is ranked, but uh, Wood's been making a bit of noise he, since he's moved over to the UFC from Cage Warriors. Moved up to featherweight, more natural weight, and has scored both knockout and submission victories, I think including an anaconda choke, so... Not something every MMA fighter has on their record. Uh, a middleweight, big European clash between Marvin Vittori and the streaking Roman Delize. Roman Delize, who like locks up subs like calf slicers, but then lets them go, but moves into ground and pound from that position and dominates. Then, uh, just... <sighs> if you're sitting cage side for this fight, bring umbrellas for the fucking blood, because... In the lightweight division, in the 155-pound lightweight division, in the co-main event of UFC 286, which is two weeks after UFC 285, just so you know how fucking mad March is going to be, Jocelyn Gaethje taking on Raphael Fazeev. Future of violence in the lightweight division right there. And then for our main event, we have the sumptuous little trilogy fight between Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman. It's one apiece. Leon's got the belt right now. He's opened up, I think, as the betting underdog. So that tells you how much faith everybody still has in Usman. Leon was losing a lot of the last fight. And he had to dig deep to get it. So I understand why that betting line has come out. And I don't know. I just believe Leon can do it in the backyard. Knockout of the year last year. Comeback of the year. Uh, post-fight speech of the year there's like a lot of awards for Leon Edwards going to be coming up at the Punkies which will be within the next few weeks so don't even worry about it so like these are the fights the UFC has announced think about all the fighters that don't have fights booked it's about to get crazy up in this year and that's just the first quarter that literally takes us up to the 18th of March so to our next topic and the James Krause situation. So, last year the UFC, um, they put out a statement saying that fighters were no longer allowed to bet on themselves. And everyone was just sort of like, okay, why? And why now? And what's going on? And then, a couple of weeks after that, 
it turned out that James Krause wasn't allowed to corner one of his fighters. And then it turns out that a fighter was removed for potential fight fixing, Derek Minner. So it's all been very, very heavy duty. You had things like um, Canadian provinces, Alberta, Ontario, massive, massive provinces stopping, like completely disallowing betting on UFC fights until there was an investigation or something of that ilk. So James Krause, who was a coach at Glory, former welterweight fighter, took a few short notice fights at middleweight and also pertinently Brandon Moreno's head coach. Um, so no small figure in the world of mixed martial arts. And I understand that he is absolutely huge in the world of Kansas MMA, where his gym is. And Krause, unfortunately, sort of signed his own death warrant. But if you revisit uh, an interview he gave to Ariel Helwani in August, uh, this is what's gotten him in trouble. He was running a Discord where people paid $50 a month to be part of his betting picks. And ultimately, around the Derek Minner fight, it seemed most likely, on the balance of probability... From where I'm sitting, which again is not in possession of all the facts. Please don't think that. But to give you the the gist of it, Miner was injured in camp and nobody said anything to the commission. He got it past the doctors um, and the suspicion is that he obviously wanted to um, make it look like he got the injury in the fight. And so the UFC would then pay for the surgery. So he goes out to fight, takes one kick, goes down and the fight's called off. And the suspicious betting patterns that changed in the hours before the fight uh, ultimately brought all of the attention down on James Krause. So there are conflict of interest things going on. Um, if the UFC doesn't have the support of you know entire Canadian provinces and New Jersey state did that also um, completely disallowed bets there. Uh, like if that's you know if it's alleged that there's no integrity that there's match fixing that you know like Vegas wouldn't take that too kindly, and think about how much of the UFC centers around Vegas. So it's a bad situation, and Krause has been banished from the sport, excommunicated. You'll probably never hear from him again. And you know MMA was his life. He was a fighter. He was a coach now, and he was picking fights. Obviously, for people talking about it on his YouTube channel. But he was also acting as an intermediary between uh, companies that take bets, and uh, they're like he was acting as an odds maker and betting on fights where he was the coach. So there were just a few too many things starting to stack up. Um, it's a bad look for the UFC, which just has had a few bad looks recently but with the Krause thing they were able to stamp that out pretty much straight away by taking decisive action Minner removed Krause not allowed to take part in events as soon as there was an investigation you know Krause's discord channel his entire youtube channel or disappeared off the internet um he's completely banned fighters aren't allowed to work with him nobody's allowed to train out of his gym and come work in the UFC I assume some sort of subtle work will still go on there behind the scenes but then what happens if it comes out, you know, then there has to be repercussions, surely. But then, staying with the subject of UFC and repercussions and public scandal and etc, etc in the new year, what about this video of New Year's Eve where Dana White is slapped in the face by his wife, hits her back, gets the hand tight, so 
Shane's only got half a guard, steps in, delivers blow number two, and then it's sort of a shamuzzle, and she ends up on the ground, and the video cuts. So, it's in a Mexican nightclub, we're not in possession of all the facts, but we're in possession of a video where he very clearly strikes his wife in public. Um, not great. And what's a really bad angle for this story, uh, as far as I'm concerned, and as far as the rest of the MM media seems to be concerned, is that the story never broke that Dana, his wife, the story broke that Dana White apologized for hitting his wife. So he obviously had some sort of backroom dealings with TMZ and released an, an apology slash interview immediately, straight away. And uh, then there was silence on it for a long time. Then he's come out at a press conference and said it was awful, but that he won't suffer any repercussions because what repercussions would work? You know, he goes away for 30 or 60 days. Uh, that hurts the fighters more than anything else. And it's just like, hmm, but what happens now the next time there's a domestic violence case in the UFC? And there's already been one this year with uh, an active fighter. And then there's already been one this year with a retired fighter who's gone to jail for femicide, murdering a woman. You know, it's just, it's a weird look. And it was a week before he started Dana White's Power Slap League. So there's a certain amount of, I think he called it irony there, but it's like, that's still going ahead, by the way. So there's no repercussions. He's not going to lose his job. There haven't been a state, there hasn't been a statement from the UFC. Uh, ESPN haven't really reported on it whatsoever. Certainly not with the verve that they reported on Kyrie Irving sharing a link to a documentary last year. So an anti-Semitic documentary, apparently, um, to give that its full due. But uh, just interesting to see that as much as the UFC wants to be one of the big four, a legitimate sport, and craves this mainstream attention, they also kind of crave the, well, we're cage fighting, you know, we're a sideshow, we're over here in the corner, don't look at us, and don't be surprised if a few women get hit, and, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you can't break an omelette without fucking making a few eggs, or... However that saying goes. Um, but just, you know, don't forget that the people that run the UFC are billionaires. And they treat the fighters as independent contractors some days, family on others. And, um, you know, they don't do right by your favorite fighters. Not really. It's just worth keeping in mind. Repercussions of bad business this year have led to... Both Nate Diaz and Francis Ngannou now being free agents. The biggest free agents in mixed martial arts history are both out on the loose at the same time, talking to whoever they want. Francis's case, his contract has just expired, and they're apparently waiving the waiving the extension period. So after a UFC contract ends, if they haven't been able to come to terms with the fighter and agree a new contract, the UFC has 12 months in which the fighter has to bring them any new offer that they might get from another organisation. And the UFC has the option to match it and re-sign that fighter for that amount or those specific terms of that contract. So Francis is out there on the loose. Um, I think he just wanted... I mean, I don't know for sure. It just broke over the weekend. He's doing his first interview tomorrow on Helwani's show. Uh, Nate Diaz obviously wanted out for the longest time, got out in the best fashion possible uh, against Tony Ferguson. But look at this also because the UFC tries to do fucking hit jobs. Okay, so Francis, the last fight they knew he was getting, he had Cyril Gunn, who is a terrible fight for anybody really at heavyweight right now. But that's nowhere near the worst offender. So Nate Diaz was supposed to fight Kamzat, 
they were obviously just looking to devalue his uh, va- devalue his value as a free agent. They've done that before. Cheeto Vera is their hitman. He was the retirement fight for both Brad Pickett in Lo- Brad Pickett in London. They wouldn't even give Brad Pickett an easy fight in London, and um, and for Frankie Edgar last year in Madison Square Gardens, or maybe the year before. But either way, it was absurd that Cheeto Vera was fighting Frankie Edgar at um, at that stage. Absurd. So the UFC just can't or won't do the type of business with some of these superstars when their star exceeds the sport. It worked with Connor, I think, maybe as a function of timing for the UFC seal to endeavor in 2016, directly after UFC 200, um, or maybe it was 202. And uh, this is incredibly exciting. Now, what the hell will they do? We know Ngani wants to box. We know Nate Diaz has tweeted the Ryzen logo. Both could have mega money boxing fights in their future. I think Francis is more competitive still right now. Nate Diaz is getting called out by Jake Paul left, right and centre for one boxing match and an MMA match six months later. I don't know if that's the route Nate wants to go. Who knows, but I'll be watching and, you know, other fighters in the UFC are watching right now, I'm sure, and seeing what sort of path has been carved um, because the UFC wouldn't agree terms with Francis Ngannou who is the most one of the most marketable fighters of all time, has brought them highlights they'll never stop showing. That Overeem knockout, forget it. The UFC's never given that up. Um, personally, I'll be sad to see Francis go. Um, BKFC are very vocal about wanting them, and it's just like the thought of that man fighting Burnuckle is bananas. There is going to be a feeding frenzy over him. Bellator... I mean, there's rumours that they're being sold, but wouldn't you think that they would jump in there? So PFL, I think, um, might be frontrunners. Nobody seems to be talking about one right now, though. Um, I guess they don't have much of a heavyweight division, but with their first ever American show coming up, it would be a feather in their cap to pinch Nganu and have him headline that. And they could let him do whatever he wants. He could kickbox there. He could grapple. He could fucking probably do like uh, karate demonstrations where he breaks boards and people will be fine with it. So um, these guys, I hope they get paid now. I hope that this doesn't go wrong. I hope that it, and if it is only a brief diversion and they come home to the UFC to fight in mixed martial arts one more time maybe or something, Great, you know, be happy to see it, but let's just see how the free agency goes here. It's 2023, it's a different day. We've seen the Jake Paul super fight thing, um, if you call those super fights, but you know what I mean, it's like they're not real fucking fights based on rankings. Um, they're just thrown together. Uh, so that is the definition of a super fight in this context. Um, whereas in strictly mixed martial arts context, I think it means champion versus champion. Yeah, it's a different day. There's different promotional opportunities out there. Uh, Francis, I think, wants to be under his own banner and probably sign one fight contracts everywhere he goes. One boxing match, maybe a bare knuckle match, although I doubt it. Uh, I would love to see it, though. Um, maybe a PFL. Maybe he has to fight a season with the PFL. Maybe they book him for a year. But that's still a year. You know, the UFC ties him in for so many fights. doesn't matter how many years they're over. So um, I feel like Francis has taken the power back a little bit. And again, we've gone through another year without, um, we've come through another year here without a mixed martial arts fighters union being formed. So they're all at the mercy of the UFC and the managers. And uh, apparently, there's going to be a documentary coming down the pipe soon about uh, MMA managers and all of the shit they'd be up to. 
um, you know, collective bargaining, uh, forcing fighters to take fights to keep their relationship with the UFC. So the sort of stuff I was talking about, Graham Boylan earlier on, um, you know, there's still like as much as you I say it again, as much as UFC wants to be accepted as this perfectly legitimate thing, they still also want people to look away and be like, oh, don't worry about any of the dodgy business dealings we're doing over here because that's cage fighting. You know, it's crazy. Don't worry about it. But, you know, people are worried about it. This is going to be a long one, and I am sorry. Uh, but this is it. This is everything that's going on in fucking MMA. Um, so with Francis Ngannou gone, vacated the heavyweight belt, we have John Bones Jones finally making the move up to heavyweight. He said he was going to do it by the end of 2013, so only 10 years later. Here we are. And, you know, there's a ton of good fights for John Jones at heavyweight. we got to see how he looks, okay? Let's not get ahead of ourselves, of course. We've got Cyril Gann now, and Francis Ngannou showed us that Cyril Gann doesn't have a ton of answers for wrestling, so you'd like to think that John Jones' wrestling matches up nicely there. So let's just follow that train of thought and say, okay, so assuming Jones wins on March 4th, then he's a double champ, light heavyweight and heavyweight, the two biggest divisions, where there's the most uh, danger to you of being knocked out and you've used your MMA the best gotten around it and your strength of schedule from your light heavyweight title run and defenses is that's a it's a cv that's second to none in mma really maybe could be but i don't know uh it's academic really but so very interesting we see jones established as the goat of all goats this year and people are going to be saying it doesn't matter about the drugs it doesn't matter about the pregnant women getting hit with cars, the wife beatings, the whatever, you know, the strippers, the sandblasting coke and whatever it was DC said he was doing. The prostitutes, everything. It's, it's just going to be hopefully about the fighting then. So John Jones, I mean, the circus can come to town. Like, who the fuck knows? Let's hope they both get in the cage healthy, beat the fuck out of each other for our entertainment. And we have got a decided lineal champion then. And, you know, Francis can go do his thing for a while. And if you think it's impossible that Francis comes back, uh, I don't think so at all. And especially like, if he wins a boxing fight and it's a big deal and there's a lot of attention on it, you think the UFC won't come back to the table and be like, Francis, old buddy, old pal. Of course they will. They know business at the end of the day. Um, what's John Jones's future ceiling and legacy? Well, like, he would be the goatest of goats. And uh, let's see what we got going on here in the division. Stipe Miocic. Uh, that's a whole, I think that's a fucking hard out for Jones. You know, Miocic can grind it out the best, but age and meanness really, really favor, favor Jones in that one. So not certain uh, who would win that. That is competitive as hell. Sergey Pavlovich is a destroyer, but he's very wild. And I feel like Jones has got the fight IQ, like a fight IQ, like a fox. Um, so... No, Curtis Blades is a competitive fight that I'd love to like. I'd love to see Jones Blades. Uh, I feel like Blades deserves pretty much a title shot, like, um, and has done probably for two years at this point. Uh, so could this be the year we see it? Well, there's definitely turnover at the top now, but new champ means you know everyone ahead of Blades here, which is gone. Miocic and Pavlovich all has to get a crack. God damn, I hope Blades gets gets just gets the right fight. And gets to do that. Tai Vasa, I think Jones smokes him. 
Um, Ty, of course, as heavyweight, so Jones can get smoked by any of these guys. And you know, Jones has always had chicken legs. So, like, are they going to hold him up at heavyweight? What weight does this weight carry? Is frame carry this weight? What weight will he weigh in at? I mean, we have so many more questions and answers right now. Tom Aspinall, I mean, there's a fight that I'd love to see. Derek Lewis, I think Jones takes. Alexander Volkov, I think Jones takes. Jarzino Rosenstrike, uh, depending on how Jones absorbs shots in the chin he has at heavyweight. That's a tough one. I mean, that's your closest thing to Francis right there, but um, no, definitely not as rounded as Francis or quite as explosive. And then let's see who's rounds out. Tibura, Dawkus, Spivak, Romanov, Abdurakimov, and Ivanov rounding out the uh, heavyweight division right now. Um, none of those fights would be too sexy, I'm sure. None of those guys, I don't think, are going to have to worry about fighting John Jones. Uh, Taito Ivasa could get the fight if he made enough noise because he's likable enough. He's well, like, he is super well liked. He's a star. Yeah, so Jones is ceiling. I just don't know how many fights he's going to fight because he's coming back. He's turning 36 in July. You know, how many fights would you take? Okay, so yeah, starting in February, there's that eight-week unbroken stretch of cards. Um, we went through all of the cards earlier, so don't forget, Vera Sanhagen is happening, people. Dana White's Tuesday Night Container Series. Please, please, please watch it this year. You know, it's fights on a Tuesday night if you're here in my time zone um, or seek it out after the fact because um, it's great to have a couple of fights midweek and we're really, really starting to see Container Series fighters break through right now. Um, of course, we saw Sean O'Malley come good last year. Like, come really good, obviously. I, we knew he was good before, but he fucking proved it last year by beating up Peter Yan. And uh, Jamal Hill now is fighting for a belt. He's got the potential to be the first Dana White's choosing a Container Series alum to become champ. Um, but genuinely, like, you know, you can argue about the merit of them making this pressure cooker situation where you have to have action fights and knock people out, and then you get a contract that's not really that good. I think it's 10 and 10 or 12 and 12. You know, 12 grand to show up, 12 grand if you win. So you might only get half of that. Obviously, it's worth it to some of these guys for their shot. And they're going for it. And they're putting everything on the line. And it's fucking entertaining. So, um, also you got Laura Sanko over there commentating up a storm. A very talented young lady. Um, possibly making the jump to uh, commentating full-time fight nights this year. Which you sort of love I'd sort of love to see I don't think the gender thing really makes such a big difference in mixed martial arts and uh, Laura Sanko really knows her shit so let's go and she's not too easy on the eye whatsoever um, matchmaking at 135 and 155 you know what I'm too tired I just want to get this rattled out I'm not going to get into that right now matchmaking 135 Vera Sand that's it they already made the fight that I'd fucking tell you about Umar Nurmagomedov to take out Marab Dvalishvili and just get him out of there so that I don't have to worry about him fighting Sean O'Malley. And um, at 55, you know, Gaethje Fazeev is brilliant. I think Darius should fight Oliveira now. I'd love to see Poirier Gaethje too this year if things line up nicely for that. Chandler McGregor would be nice, but that's going to happen at welterweight. Uh, Tony Ferguson, I think, probably deserves a retirement fight. Um, not with a complete scrub, but we also don't need to uh, feed him to the lions. We don't need we don't need to see that. That's one thing we don't need to see this year. Um, at 155, I'd love to actually delve much more into 
sort of just not quite unranked, but those lower waters like Jalen Turner, uh, Drew Dober called him out, and I think that's one of the best fights imaginable right now. Dan Hooker's re-established himself in here. Uh, it says here on the UFC's website that Demir Ismagulov is still ranked 12th, so we do still have to have another guy in there. That'll probably be Paddy Pimlet by the time this updates. Saryukian has to have a fight. Maybe we could have him fight Gamrot. Uh, I don't know if Gamrot's actually in the position to be winning that. Moicano uh, is competitive again. Make no mistake, Grant Dawson's not the world's worst fighter. Yeah, fights to be fucking made there uh, for death. Who would you want to see take on Connor at welterweight just for talk's sake? Oliver, I don't know. See, Oliver will get into a fucking brawl. So, Poirier, well, not again, but... um. I'm sure it would be fun. Um, maybe if it being a welterweight would change the stakes. I don't know. Gaethje. I mean, Gaethje McGregor just makes sense, doesn't it? But I don't know if Gaethje is the type of man that would be like, I'm not going to fucking fight you at 170. You just come to my fucking weight or we don't fucking fight. Gaethje's no nonsense. Um, definitely Jalen Turner would be excited about fighting everyone. I hope he does take the Dober fight. That's incredible. Dober's one to watch out for this year. Three fights, three finishes last year also. So fighter of the year territory basically and uh, just always so entertaining. Alright, we're almost done. We're almost out of here boys and girls. Alright. This won't be as in-depth as I would have liked because I am exhausted. But um, I need to have a coffee midway through these long ones. I'm learning all the time. I'll get better at podcasting this year. Make no mistake, okay? Progress might be slow but it'll be good. Um, I'm easing off on the THC and upping the caffeine for these things so I think I express myself a little bit more clearly when I'm caffeinated um, I'll still get stoned and do giggly walloper watches with you guys though don't make no mistake that the podcast is still a podcast but when there's MMA things to be talked about and there's good and bad and pros and cons to be weighed up and things to be explained in a way that makes sense um, I need my wits about me you know there's some incredible journalists working out there in the mixed martial arts sphere and I take my cues from them and I try and be as clear and make my points as well as possible. For a guy in a bedroom making a podcast, I do my goddamn best. Uh, so the end of year champions, who do I think? Right, a flyweight, I think you're going to have Brandon Moreno be in there. I don't know if he's going to win on Saturday but I feel like he is uh, capable of taking out everybody else and Figueredo is going to have to move up to bantamweight. If not this year then when, you know? So uh, maybe he could win the belt and vacate. Not quite certain. Uh, a bantamweight. Like you're asking me to put fucking cash money on this. I might have to go with Marlon Cheeto Vera, and it breaks my heart as a Sean O'Malley fan. I don't think Sugar Sean O'Malley's the worst shout there either, nor Peter Yan. But I think the ways are going to come off Aljamain Sterling this year. I think if he has to fight O'Malley, O'Malley will piece him up. I don't think he could strike anywhere near as good as O'Malley. Cheeto Vera is not going to be too worried about him grabbing him and he'll get nasty with it and if he's diving in for takedowns on Cheeto Vera there's knees to be timed, there's kicks, there's it could be a really short night for Aljamain Sterling, we've seen that happen to him before uh, Corey Sanhagen is the man also, uh, he does everything well fuck it's going to be a hard year, Sanhagen Jan too maybe to happen in there yeah so I think O'Malley or Marlon Vera I felt the way that it's going to be Vogue I don't think anybody takes him out for a while. Uh, at lightweight, I'm going to say Oliveira is going to get the belt back. That's where I'm going to go controversial. I'm going to see Makachev take a take a loss. 
I think uh, I think Oliver maybe gave up a little bit uh, early in this one. I don't know. His strength of schedule was insane. Like, look who he was fighting. Um, Poirier, Chandler, Gaethje, Dariush, uh, Kevin Lee. Like, it's been fucking nuts for Oliver starting in 2020. So, no days off. I think he can get that back. Makachev is the boring answer. Oliver, I think, definitely can do it. Um, the heart obviously wants to see Dustin Poirier have an undisputed belt before it's all said and done, but without an injury or something, I'm not quite certain that we're going to get there this year. Maybe just maybe we're just in the Dustin Poirier super fight era, and that is not without its charms either. Um, might we see maybe Dustin Poirier versus Rafael Dos Anjos this year? Has that ever happened before? Don't think so. Um, not bad. At Welderweight, I think the champion is going to be called Leon Edwards at the end of the year. I think he takes Kamaru in a rematch. I think he has enough game to take on Bilal Muhammad in a rematch. She's going to be coming on as the next contender. Chimaev, I don't know. Um, but I think Edwards has probably started planning for that. So um not too worried about that. Colby Covington, I mean, what the hell is going on here? Are we going to see him and Masvidal fight this year at all? Or are they just going to be locked in that court case? Um, want them both back in there. They're trying to make Chimiev Covington, and they were talking about doing that for London, so don't know, but I think Leon Edwards. At middleweight, I think your champion at the end of the year is going to be Robert Whitaker. I think we've seen the Adesanya era end. I think Whitaker's got the best, most the most well-rounded game at middleweight. Not the best game, because obviously that's Pereira right now, but we know Pereira's not there if Izzy's not the champ. We know Pereira would have had to go through a Bronson or a Vittori or, uh, as it looks right now, at the you know, he hasn't had the ground game tested out of him. So, um, I'm not certain he's going to stay there. Then whoever takes that off him, it's going to have to worry about Israel Adesanya, Robert Whitaker coming from, for them. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be Whitaker. I think that's going to shake up. Light heavyweight. Uh, if he was back in time, I would say it would be Yuri Prochaska. Um, I'm going to say your light heavyweight champion at the end of this year is going to be... Magomed Ankalaev. And at the end of this year, your heavyweight champion in the UFC will be John Jones. The heart can't go against it. We want to see the GOAT story written up around here. Too much poetry in it. Let's see it. And, you know, let's get Francis back and make the super fight of all super fights the following year. Uh, women, straw weight. If it's not John or Rose, I'd be extremely surprised. Um, I think Mackenzie Dern is coming on in that division. I uh, was unlucky to lose to Zhao Nanyan, um, but there is a lot of talent there, obviously. And against Zhang or Nami Yunus, I don't think Esparza is going to stay in the mix. A women's flyweight, I am going to go out crazy here and say I think it's going to be Tatiana Suarez. I think Shevchenko loses it this year. Bantam, women's bantamweight, I believe it stays Amanda Nunes. I always believe in Amanda Nunes, and I... Never thought Pena would beat her for a second. Um, I feel like Nunez is probably going to have to rematch Pennington this year as well, and she's going to destroy her. So there's nothing, there's nothing here that worries me. Caitlin Vieira just lost to Raquel Pennington. Yeah, and uh, Caitlin Vieira doesn't move her head off center line, so uh, Nunez would have a fucking field day with her. Yeah, and that's it, and that's that for our end of year champs. Let's just go through those one more time. So we're going to have Brandon Moreno. Sean O'Malley or Marlon Vera, Alexander Volkanovsky, Charles Oliveira, Leon Edwards, Robert Whitaker, Magomed Ankalaev, John Bones Jones, Jean or Rose, Count Tatiana Suarez, 
and Amanda. So there you go. There's my predictions laid out large. And we'll see how much of that comes back to bite me in the ass by the end of the year. So I'm going to be breaking down some fights big style for you this year. If you go back and check out an episode I did for UFC 281, the Izzy Pereira fight. That's the format I'm going to be following for those. So those are going to be about that long, about 45 to 50 minutes. And um, just be me trying to cobble together what I understand from all of the technical analysis that I watch and bring those to you so we're going to definitely try my very goddamn bestest to do moreno figgy four before that fight happens this weekend a uh, vote versus islam the super fight for the 155 pound belt vote going for double champ status incredible of course we got to look into that uh, jones versus gan i mean we gotta know what the likely tactics are there i gotta know what i'm looking out for before i get near that fight uh, Leon versus Usman, uh, although I think on that card, uh, Gaethje versus Fazeev is going to be a more fun fight to look at, and uh, Vera versus Sanhagen, uh, I have to I have to go into that fight armed with as much knowledge as possible, I simply will not be surprised by an outcome there, you will not see that happen to me. And then I wanted to wrap up just by saying, Ariel Hilwani has been on fire this year, when he gets mad at you know, Dana White, Brent Shaw, these figures, people trying to come for him, tell lies about him online, he produces the receipts, as he calls it, gets the facts in line, gets his timeline straight, and absolutely destroys people, but never sinks to their level. It's very, been very, very entertaining to watch, and um, I have massive respect for it. So he has Francis on tomorrow to talk about free agency and all of the circumstances. That's going to be must-listen, incredible radio. Just like this podcast has been, I hope you guys enjoyed it i hope some of that makes sense again i don't know really a lot about mma and or fighting personally but i'm a big fan of the sport and and watching and i think the journalism in it is a lot better than in some other sports so uh huge fan always just trying to indulge that fandom to get more knowledgeable and um just trying to share some of that knowledge then uh, with you guys uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you if you've stuck it out this long thank you so much you did not have to do that for me but i appreciate it so much i ain't gonna try really hard to grow this podcast this year so that your faith in me gets repaid and we just keep on going and growing so that's it and that's that stay black everybody peace love punkadelic